lies about the gospel. What I will tell you, it is not the wisdom of the world. It's not through might that you are, are saved. It's not through political power or political clout that you are saved. It's not through financial wealth in which the world is saved. The world is saved by a poor carpenter who has no political clout, who has no financial wealth, who has little worldly ambition. The wisdom that he uses is meekness, gentleness, self-control, love. The world is not saved by military power, but by a lonesome death on a hill far, far away. Open up your Bible or your phone app uh, to 1 Corinthians. Help your neighbor get there. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I know it's not the verse we read today, uh, but I just want to briefly hit this, and I want you to see it as I talk about it. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18. Somewhere in your pew Bible. I don't know what page number. 952 in the pew Bible. Verse 18. For the word of the cross. We could actually supplement that word. For the wisdom. The wise word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. We're going to stop there for a second. Did you hear the wisdom of the gospel? The wisdom of the gospel is the cross. And we'll just break that down even clearer to you. The wisdom of God is death. The wisdom of God is death. That's how the world is saved, through death. Not by might, not by wealth, not by influence, but by death. We'll go on. Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and a folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. So congratulations to all of you. <laughs> Just in case you got a little bit mightier about who you thought you are, you are foolish. That's the qualification for God to choose you. 
God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. I mean, that, that right there is the gospel. He's describing it. Things that are not in comparison. I mean, they are, but they're not. In comparison to who God is, they're nothing. And he says, I use death to bring things that are nothing to make them actually something. That's the wisdom of God. That doesn't make any sense, though, does it? So that no human means might, might boast in the presence of God. And because of him... You are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Jesus became the wisdom of God. Two ways. Right? We've been describing in the book of Ecclesiastes, the best definition of wisdom, right, is not just a wise saying, but skillfully living life for God. That's wisdom. Skillfully living. Jesus embodied all that. Skillfully living perfectly for the Father. Showing us the way. And then ultimately, he skillfully lives for the Father by loving God's children by dying for them. God's wisdom is death skillfully living for God. The foundation of our beliefs is God is love. Now, it's not this concept of love that is eternal that we pre-oppose upon God. No, God is the only thing eternal. And then therefore, everything, what God is, is a describer of what love is. So when we read and who God is throughout this whole scripture, we have to understand everything that he does is love and that our definition of love might not be correct and needs to be corrected. God is love. And even more foundationally to that is that this foundational understanding of who God is, God is love, is God is triune. I just had a new members class today. We talked about Trinity. Here's the summary of this. The Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity, is the most important doctrine of Christianity. Now you may say, whoa, 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 isn't Jesus the most important? Well, yes, the act that Jesus has saves us is, differentiates us. But the Trinity is the most differentiation of any other faith. That God is eternally three persons in one. And why this is important. Why is this important? Because God is revealing something from, about himself from eternity about who he is. Because where we start with who God is impacts our understanding down the road of how we actually live out and respond to that God and respond to others. So foundationally, because God is triune, it reveals himself as the eternal father, not as creator. That's not the foundation of the Trinity. The foundation of the Trinity is the eternal Father eternally loves the Son. And the Son, in response to that love, eternally loves the Father. That's why the Son obeys eternally the Father, because he experiences the love of the Father. 
Not because he fears the Father. And this is foundational. So God, in the very nature of who he is, because he is loving in a loving relationship, eternally, this one God. And because this love is so creative, it, it just produces something. It produces something out of the Son. That it's so, it is overflowing, that God is so immense and overflowing, that creation is an outpouring of God's love because it's just who God is. So God creates. He makes things. This is really important, right? Because if you start with God as almighty and powerful, which he is, as sovereign, when you come down to the road, how you respond to that God, you respond to him in fear and trembling, and you obey because you're scared. Now, you know, as a parent, that's not how people respond. Because ultimately, if you in that action, you will not obey at all. Children will not obey. You will rebel. God's foundationally love. And creation comes out of love. And here's what this is. Love is so creative. Love is so creative that when God creates things, it's an abundance. It's overwhelming. It's over, right? God could have created just one star in the sky and we would, wow, that is so immense and that is so beautiful and that is so amazing. But when we look up into the sky, God's love is so creative and so overflowing that he couldn't create just one star. It's more numerous than we can ever imagine. It fills the sky. I mean, have you ever gone out into the deep woods into the light pollution and looked up and you're like, I can't even understand what I'm looking at. That's God's love. That's God created this so overwhelming. This is one aspect of creation. God's love naturally creates and naturally outflows from his love. This is abundant giving, this giving God, because love is giving. God's love is creative. Love is creative. And love by nature creates. This is how it plays out in relationships, right? My love for my wife is not dependent upon her love. But my love, that's illustrated in the relationship of the father and son, should elicit my wife's love for me. It should be so exciting, so powerful, so creative in her that it actually creates something in her to love me back. My love for you should be so creative because love properly done is creative. It creates something that elicits love back. That's how the triune God reveals himself, who he is. And therefore, right, God's love is creative. And here's the thing. Death is love. Death is love. Wait, wait, wait. Isn't death the enemy of God? Well, what, what God actually issued death as a punishment. And God is love. And therefore, we have to understand that death is love. And then death is creative. Because death is love. But let's think about this, right? The punishment of sin, right, is that the, the punishment of sin, God's discontentment with our discontentment with him. The punishment is death. Physical death, 
And then ultimately, right, immediately spiritual, right? This holy God can't be involved in unholy things, so it has to be separation. We can't be in the, in the presence of this God. And so God issues the penalty of death. And that penalty of death is actually an act of grace. It's an act of love because he doesn't want Adam and Eve. He doesn't want you and I to live eternally in separation from him. He doesn't want us to live eternally in separation from love, from life, from this overflowing creative God. And it says, like, it's, the, the grace is that you don't live forever in that state. Death, death is not just imposed on humanity, it's imposed on all creation. So think about this. All of creation, you and I, are in death. Things that are not. In comparison to the things that are. God is. Everything else is not. And so God creates a uniform. I've used this term before. The cruciform existence of the universe. The whole universe is in a state of death. And think about how the universe exists. All the universe exists in this way. Things are alive, and then they begin to decay, and then they become to die, and out of dead things comes new life. Death is created because death is love, because God is love. So all, all, all stars, right, they supernova, and they create... All the rest of the matter in the universe. You and I are just stardust. You, you will die, physically die, and your body will push up mushrooms one day. Yes. Yeah, you you got to die first. You got to die. And you already are in death. Death is creative. Dead things create life because love is creative. God, I mean, this is, this think of the wisdom of God, what he just used here. God uses the punishment of sin because God loves. The punishment of sin is love. And that punishment is actually the thing that makes new life out of death. Because God is love, and out of that love, creative things happen. New life happens. God's love and wisdoms makes the punishment of our death the solution to our death and creates new life. Death is the wisdom of God because it is the love of God. God is love and love is creative. 1 John 4, 9-11, in case you don't believe me, it states it clearly. In this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that he, we might live through him. In this, in this is love. In this, this thing is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he had loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, to be death, to be the substitute for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Did you hear that? As I start the service, there's an implication of this. It's an implication of this creative love because love just naturally overflows and creates. Because God died for us and used death as love as a creative act. This creative act, we ought to then respond back in love 
We love God by loving one another. And how do we love one another? We lay our lives down. We lay our will down. We lay our wants down. That's the wisdom. Die yourself. Die yourself. So you can have new life. God's wisdom, death, is mightier than any human strength or way. Because God is love. That is the wisdom that Solomon has articulated, has, has discovered, and now is uh, clearly stating to us now in Ecclesiastes 9. Ecclesiastes 9.13. I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. Now, now Solomon uses this word great, and, the, and in Scripture, when this word great is used, it's not, it's not undersold. It's not how we use it. That's great. That's fantastic. No, when, it's, when Scripture uses great, it means it's really significant. Right? Uh, and, and Nineveh is called the great city of God. It's, it's really profound. It's huge. It's enormous. It's great. Well, Solomon is saying, this wisdom in which I'm about to describe to you, this is really heavy. This is big. This is great. And think about what, so who Solomon is. Solomon is a great king. I mean, he is unopposed in his age. He has wealth. He has power. He has influence. And he even has God's wisdom. And yet, like the rest of us, he is a fool. And, God, and Solomon says, this, what I'm about to describe to you, is really great. Ecclesiastes 9, 14 and through 15. And he tells it, I don't know if it's a parable or if it's a historical account. We're not quite sure. He says this. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor man, a poor, wise man. And he, by his wisdom, delivered the city Yet no one remembered that poor man. Solomon doesn't give us historical account of this, and I think that's part of the point. There was a poor man who conquered, uh, who, poor man from a conquered small city with few people, insignificant. We don't want to even mention it. It would even be recorded in the annals of history. And initially it was defeated, this small city was defeated by this great king. However, uh, the victory was ultimately won by the poor man, wisdom. Now, it doesn't really tell you what that wisdom is, does it? It just said the poor man's wisdom. I mean, we're just sitting on edge and see, what, what is this wisdom of this poor man? How did he defeat, how did this one man's wisdom defeat this great and mighty king? I mean, this is, you talk about a David and Goliath story. This is, this is David and Goliath to the extreme. You know, David just has to face a giant of this this poor wise man has to fit the great siege works, the great king, the great kingdom. And he takes it all on with his wisdom. And the earthly tragedy is even as the, the wise poor man wins, no one remembers his name. He's forgotten. He's insignificant. And the simple moral of this parable or this historical account of this wisdom is this, working for the best interests of others without expectation of reward. 
Now that's hard to do, isn't it? Because even when we do it, we still want some kind of reward. Acknowledgement. The wisdom of of this this parable or this tale, it sounds a little bit like uh, love your neighbor by laying down your life for them. It sounds a little bit like death. You don't earn anything out of your death, do you? There's no reward in your death. The Jewish tradition of understanding this piece of scripture, uh, they would all refer to the, the Targum, which was the kind of the uh, interpretation of scripture, this book of a collective interpretation. And almost all of this make this little story about that what Solomon says is an allegory. The city was equated to a person whose body was invaded by an evil spirit. And the poor man was a good but humble spirit that wages war against the evil spirit. And so this is traditional understanding that was even at the time of Jesus was, was prevalent. That's just how you understood it. Poor man that was invaded. It was a city invaded by the evil spirit. And this good spirit, humble spirit, wages war against the evil spirit and wins. There's parables to this allegory in the New Testament. People's souls under siege by dark and evil forces. Ephesians 6.12 For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Right? Like this. There's an allegory in the, in the New Testament that's explaining like, what you see is not what's really happening here. There's evil forces at work. And Christ is the wise man. 1 Corinthians 1.30, we read it this morning. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Christ is the embodiment, this allegory of that he is Wisdom. And is described as wisdom as the act of the cross, the redemption, death, who became poor for our sake, Philippians 2, 7 through 8, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Do you hear the allusion to his wisdom? That's very clearly that Christ's wisdom is death. His atoning sacrifice is God's wise ways to deliver man from the, the city of destruction. In verse 18, for the, world of the, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. He, his, his sacrifice, his wisdom is greeted with ingratitude by the world. We heard that uh, uh, a couple months ago with uh, Pastor Dixon, we talked about the, the ten leopards, right? That Jesus healed the ten leopards and only the foreigner came back to thank Jesus. The rest of them, they had this healing and they were not grateful for this healing. The rally, is that Jesus at the cross? The people were not grateful for what he was doing in that moment. His own disciples did not remember him in that moment. They abandoned him. Everyone abandoned him. The poor, wise man at the cross. Ecclesiastes 9.16. I mean, let's go back to actually. A poor, it's a poor, wise man by his hidden death defeats 
the great king. That's the moral of the story. The poor, wise man, the New Testament says, defeats the great king of this world, the great ruler of this world, by his death. Ecclesiastes 9.16, But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. Solomon, Solomon summarizes lessons from, from this by his searching of wisdom and folly throughout all his life. And he says, look, at what I've learned is that wisdom is better than strength. God's way is better than man's way. And what I've learned is that God's wisdom is death. God's wisdom is death, which is mightier than any power, any human strength in this world. Verse 23 out of 1 Corinthians, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and follies to the Gentiles. God's way is in opposition to the way of people under the sun. It's opposition to our way and how we think. Therefore, the message of the gospel becomes confusing to us at times. It becomes confusing when we preach it to people. It doesn't make sense. Why does God have to die? Why would God ever die? Why would this holy God die? And then we come to the last point here, the last couple of verses, and I included verse 1 in chapter 10 because there's a chiastic structure, a little poem here. Uh, and you know in Hebrew they, uh, they love these chiastic structures where, where at the, the beginning and the end are the same and the middle kind of correlate to each other and, and it focuses you into the middle. And the, the beginning and the end are the illustration to the middle and the middle is the main point. So you hear the illustration clearly. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of ruler among fools. That's the illustration of it. And then the point is wisdom is better than weapons of war. Right? Death is better than weapons of war. And then the illustration in 10, when dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. And so then the point is, but one sinner destroys much good. I mean, I mean this is the illustration, right? If there's a fly in my soup, I'm not taking out the fly and then eating the rest of the soup. The soup is done for me. If there's a hair in my salad or food, I'm not just pulling out the hair and eating the rest because I have no idea what's in the rest. It's done. It's ruined. And that's what it's saying. Sin ruins the whole thing. Even one tiny little bit of sin ruins the whole thing. Now, you and, you and I know, you can tell me later, you and I know that we don't just have a little sin. That our sin is overflowing. That our, our sin not just ruins us, but it ruins people around us. That Adam and Eve's sin, it destroyed creation. It corrupted the all of creation. And don't think that your sin doesn't do the same thing. No, it's just about me. No. It ruins the very fabric of creation. Because creation is created out of love. And your sin is not love. Here's the, here's the point. Wisdom, God's way, is better than the sheer exercise of political worldly power. Because worldly power just enslaves. 
Worldly power doesn't provide the solution. Death provides the solution. And the counterpoint to this in this chiastic structure is wisdom. God's way gets easily lost by the political process, by the political thought of this world. Now, I wrote that down, uh, and then, uh, this idea of this, because this is all, all actions of, of politics on our world. Not that we think of a government as politics, but just politics between people. And things. But I thought, man, this is really important in our day and age today. Because, listen, if you, uh, if you're, if you're uh, thinking the Republicans are right on this impeachment thing, and, and, and their process, the way they're handling it is right, you are wrong. If you think, man, the Democrats and their way they're handling, handling the political process is right, and like, man, they're justified and they're doing it just the upright way, you are wrong. Because here's the point. The political process is not God's way. God's way is death. We as Christians, we want truth. The political process in which we create does not create truth. I'm not just talking America. I'm just talking our, how we interact with each other. It does not create truth. It does not create life. You know what creates life? Love does. Love is overflows and creates new things. You know how you love someone? God says you die for them. You lay down your life for them. The reason for the corruption and the brokenness and all this folly and all this distortion and the way that God's wisdom get lost in this world, is, he says it clearly, is because the human heart is full of sin. Ecclesiastes 8.11. The heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil, to destroy. A little sin pollutes all the worldly wisdom. So even when you think the worldly wisdom is onto something, rest assured, sin pollutes it. We need a new ointment. We need a new balm in Gilead. We need a new wisdom, a new way to deliver the world. And God says, that's death. Enter into Jesus and his way. His way is the way of death, the way of the cross. His creative love that is enacted by his loving death. God's way, death, is mightier than any human strength or any human wisdom because it is love by definition. God's wisdom is easily ignored, easily dismissed, easily cast off because it makes no sense, because it doesn't compute with this world. It didn't compute with the disciples who were with him for three years. He kept talking about it over and over, and they're like, ah, that doesn't really make sense, Jesus. No, you're going to enter in your new kingdom, right? You're going to overthrow this. That, that, that's what he's really talking. He's, he's talking in allegory. He's talking about death, refers to this conquering, right? That's what he's talking about. It didn't make sense to Pilate. Pilate's like, it's Jesus like, you're not a threat. These people think you're a threat. You're nothing. You're poor people, and, and you're just talking about death. Pilate doesn't even know what to do with Jesus. Pilate doesn't kill Jesus because he's a threat. He kills, he kills Jesus because the people are a threat. Because they're uprising. 
The world doesn't know what to do with Jesus and his way. The end of the day, all of us are looking for safety and security. Everyone is. And we look for safety and security in our governments. And so we want uh, police and military and laws and strength. And there's nothing wrong with those things. Right? God actually talks about how he institutes those things. Uh, but that's not actually where we get our safety and security from. And we look for our safety uh, and security in our finances. And at the end of the day, we die, and we don't carry those over, and they don't provide any security. In reality, because we live in a world where our, our, our finances are just numbers or pieces of paper. They're actually nothing. It's backed by a government that could fall easily. And we look for security in our relationships and safety in our relationships because we want security from loneliness. We want security from uh, uh, physical uh, depravity, from harm. We want security from emotional harm and spiritual harm. We want to be comforted. So we seek out security in relationships for people that won't harm us, that will care for us. That's, those are good things. We want people that don't harm us. But here's the truth. Everyone harms everyone. Because our heart is full of sin. And the truth that Solomon is saying is God's way is the only way because it provides a better security. It provides a better security to our community. It provides a better security to each of us individually. It provides more security than any political, police, or military power. And the reality, because it's easily ignored. Because the world is screaming a different way all the time. It's not death. But God's steady and calm voice is saying, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Life is made perfect in the gracious sacrifice on the cross. Death. Not by might, not by power, not by human will, but the opposite. Laying down your life. This grace of God is a creative love. God's grace is a creative love to us because that's who God is. It overflows everything that he has. And this grace, this love is the cross. Jesus taking on death to bring new life. Life to the fullest. Life that's, oh, that's abundant because that's just who God is. It's overflowing. It never stops. Like the stars in the heaven. This life that he gives us isn't just Man, here's an abundant life for, for a moment in time. No, this is an abundant life that increases and increases forever and ever and ever. Because that's what God's love does. By his nature, it's who he is. It creates and continues to create and it continues to give. The grace of death is God's creative love that provides new life. Do not ignore this wisdom. Do not drown it out. May we live out this wisdom. May we speak out this wisdom in this world so that you and I, the foolishness of this world, the things that are not, the things that are not can deliver 
to our community, to our neighbors, the wisdom of God, the love of God by laying down our life. Can you deliver this wisdom? Can you point him to the wisdom of the cross through your words and through your actions? Are you willing to love God by laying down your life for your neighbor?